Leviticus says that the unclean must dwell outside the camp, and Christ reveals himself to be the Lord of the law. Welcome to Scripture Commentary. Today I am discussing the sixth Sunday of Ordinary Time. Remember to like, comment, share, subscribe, do all the things. Help me to appease the pernicious and fickle algorithm gods. Also, you can ask me a question and I will answer it on the podcast. You can ask me by emailing me at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. For today, I think I'm going to jump around a little bit or at least skip around a little bit. I'm probably going to talk about the first reading and then go to the gospel and then maybe go back over the psalm and how it relates to both the first reading and the gospel. So our first reading comes from Leviticus, and this Leviticus reading, or the passage we have from Leviticus, is talking about leprosy or skin disease. There are two full chapters of Leviticus that are devoted to the discussion of leprosy, skin diseases, and the the cleansing of lepers and what is to be done when somebody claims to have been healed. How do you reinstate them into the community? It would be a bit of an overstatement to say that leprosy is the result of sin in the Old Testament. There's no real connection yet between the idea that someone is suffering of leprosy because of a sin or that sin and leprosy are somehow synonymous. Although there are cases where that might be true, generally speaking, it's, it, that connection is not quite established yet. So when one claims to have been healed, all they really need to do is kind of offer the appropriate sacrifice and then they're readmitted into the community. What we can say is Leviticus is making a connection of sin and leprosy insofar as leprosy is like sin in that it kind of bars one from fellowship with God or cultic activities Um, divine worship, but these are, at this point, just allegorical elements. It's like sin in that it's progressive, it's loathsome, it's it's disfiguring and insidious, but it's not to the level of something spiritual quite yet. So to really understand what's happening in Leviticus, in this passage that we have today for our first reading, we need to kind of go over a little bit of the understanding of holiness, Clean, cleanness and uncleanness in the Old Testament. So th- those are our three ca- three categories, holy, clean, and unclean. And this is reflected uh, at this time in, in Leviticus. They are, the Israelites are journeying towards the, the promised land. They're in the wilderness. So they have the camp set up, the Israelite camp set up. And these three categories, holy, clean, and unclean, are reflected in how the camp is set up. At the center of the camp is the tabernacle, and the tabernacle is the holy place. It's it's where God has chosen to dwell. So in that center circle, you have the tabernacle, the priests, and these two are considered to be holy. The center of the camp is holy. The tabernacle is God's dwelling place. It's constructed in a pattern that is mediated by Moses, received by God from heaven. So it's, it's, it's heaven on earth. We've talked a little bit about the center of the world before, and the center of the world is the highest mountain or the holy mountain, but it's also the temple. It's also the the holy site where God chooses to dwell. So the center of the world is is the center of the camp. It's where God is dwelling. The second ring is for those who are considered clean and Israelites. So center, 
holy, Leviticus, so center, holy, priesthood, second ring, clean, and those who are Israelites. Now, the third ring on the outside is are those who are unclean and those who are non-Israelites. So th- these are people who kind of dwell on the fringes then. And those who are unclean are certainly lepers. So they belong to the outside of the camp. Before getting to the unclean, let's dive into a little bit about holiness in Leviticus. So holiness is always, is always associated with God and has kind of four aspects. One, God is innately holy. He is the supreme manifestation of holiness. So to be holy is to be godlike. Secondly, holiness emanates from God. He is the sole source of holiness. He alone endows places and objects, things and people with holiness. Everything that is given to God and belongs to God is holy. Since this holiness radiates from God, all those that are close to him, all things close to him, are also to be holy. God's presence makes wherever he is the holiest location on on earth. Again, because God dwells in the tabernacle, that is now the center of the world. And if you are to dwell close to God, you must be holy as well. So the the priesthood, the, the Levites, are called to be holy since they have to live so close to him. The other objects in the tabernacle or in the, the holy tent or the royal tent, like the Ark of the Covenant, are also meant to be holy. Now we have a, a third aspect. Holiness describes the moral perfection and the, the purity of God's nature. That God, and for this reason, God commands the Israelites, be holy because I am holy. I, the Lord your God, am holy. He says this in Leviticus 19. So this comes in the context, Leviticus 19, of governing, of God's kind of governing his people, that as he is holy, his people must reflect his holiness, that the Israelites are people peculiarly, that the Israelites are people of his own, that he has chosen them, and their lives should reflect the God who has chosen them to be holy. Fourth aspect, this sanctification, the process by which someone or something becomes holy, is the result of divine activity. So it is God who sanctifies here. It is reflected in the refrain, I, the Lord, am your God, and I am the Lord who makes you holy. I sanctify you. This comes in Leviticus 20. So throughout Leviticus, the divine side of sanctification is is present, that God is the one who endows holiness. However, there's also a human activity to this, that those who are made holy by God are expected to remain holy by doing nothing that would compromise that relationship or would compromise their holiness. So Israelites must also remain holy after being sanctified by God. So a, a natural extension of this belief that God is holy is the idea that holiness means wholeness or perfection. To be holy is to be unblemished and unmarred. It is to experience the fullness of God as we were originally intended to experience. That the holiness that God is calling us to is the same holiness that Adam and Eve were called to, or that they were, in fact, born into. On another level, holiness is associated with moral perfection and moral behavior. 
So to be holy is to live in a way that reflects the moral perfection of God. So this this life should be this life of holiness should be marked by love and purity and righteousness. And these are all three hallmarks of perfect behavior. So that's holiness. Now we can compare that to being unclean. So being unclean is the opposite of holiness. It represents kind of everything that is less than godlike. So un- uncleanness is sometimes things that happen from a, a natural cause of being human. So there's all sorts of purity laws and, and laws about being un- ritually unclean. I won't get into those maybe some other time. Uncleanness and cleanness kind of dominate the Gospels in, in a few passages, so we'll elucidate those some other time. But for now, there, there are those things that are natural, and even leprosy can fall underneath those. And then there's also those things that make a person unclean by purposeful action that, he, that humans do for, to themselves, you know, a transgression of laws by God. So being a leper makes you unclean. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are unholy, but it certainly, as our passage demonstrates, it means that you should dwell apart from people and dwell apart from the community. So the relationship between holiness and uncleanness is that holiness and uncleanness are, are totally incompatible. That not only is it impossible for anyone or anything to be holy and unclean at the same time, no holy object or person is normally permitted to come in contact with anything unclean. So that's why you have the tabernacle in the center of the camp and the priests at the center of the camp. And then those on the outside literally dwelling apart from the camp. They're not just on the fringes, they're they're all the way out. They're totally incompatible. They're they're as far away from holiness as possible. So both holiness and uncleanness are perceived kind of by the ancient Israelites as having this kind of dynamic nature, meaning that they have the ability to transmit their nature to other things and other people. Those who are unclean can transmit their uncleanness to other people. And that which is holy can also communicate holiness. This is why you have you know, God, again, radiates holiness. He Whatever he touches becomes holy. So I want to get into some particulars um, from the passage we have today. So we have here that if a man is leprous or and unclean, the priest shall declare him unclean by reason of the sore on his head. The one who bears the sore of, of leprosy shall keep his garments rent, his beard bare, and his head bare, and muffle his beard. He shall cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall dwell apart, making his abode outside of the camp. So again, he's not just on the fringes, those who are lepers. They're actually dwelling apart from from the camp. So I want to get into something that a lot of existentialist philosophers talk about, and particularly... Uh, religious existentialists, and this is the idea or concept of alienation. Those who dwell outside of the camp are alienated from the community. They're alienated from the holy. They're they're outsiders. They're the stranger. They're and because they're the stranger, they're in some sense the 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 threat to the community. So there's something that existentialists talk about called you know kind of cosmic loneliness, and it's this idea that that the individual is fundamentally interpersonal, that they do not dwell in isolation. We are not radical individualists who can live 
apart from other people. We can live on the outside of the camp, but that we're actually made for other people. This is reflected in Genesis. We see the creation of Adam and the animals and that it's not good for man to be alone and that he needs a companion. And even God himself is a communion of persons, the, the Holy Trinity. So the, from the Holy Trinity down to our, our very beings, we are meant for other people. And that when we're not in relation with others, when we're not experiencing our interpersonal dimension, we feel like a fraction of ourselves. And that the more we are in relation to others, the more we experience ourselves, that we, we crave deep relations. And when we are deprived of the presence of others, we lose that sense of significance, you know, of love and well-being. And along with that, we begin to kind of lose the sense of ourselves. It's like someone has kind of torn away a piece of our being. So it's true that, uh, you know, lepers would create something called leper colonies. I'm not sure if that happened uh, with the Israelites, but certainly in medieval times, they, there were, you know, kind of groups of people that would come together, colonies of people to come together. But that's not really the sense of community that we're talking about here because leper colonies almost become like the island of misfit toys. That the thing that binds them together is that they are all strangers. The thing that binds them together is that they're alienated from the community. They're alienated from worship. That's, that's hard to, to create a community based on that we're all rejects. So... What we're really talking about here is that the human person craves authentic community, and the leper is someone who is is symbolically, you know, pushed or literally and symbolically alienated from that community that that he craves. There's a Jewish existentialist philosopher, uh, Martin Buber, who was also friends with Carl Jung, or he, he knew Carl Jung and, and some other kind of uh, early 20th century uh, philosophers and psychologists. But he says that our, our ultimate being is, is not just interpersonal, but it also has this craving for, for something transcendent, that we, we want to be in relationship with others. We have this sort of horizontal and vertical dimension. You can think about it that way. That we want to be in community with other people, but we also, we also want to be in communion with something divine and transcendent. But what happens to the, the leper is he, he actually is cut off from both of those because he cannot dwell in the community. He can't dwell in the camp. He has to dwell outside the camp. And in fact, he's, so he's cut off from that horizontal dimension, but he, he can't even come close to the holy. He's actually the fur, furthest thing from the holy. So he's cut off from both the vertical and the horizontal dimension of his fundamental being. So he's experiencing this complete alienation. A classic symbol for alienation is the image of wilderness, that he, he dwells out there. You know, and someone like Jung would say that alienation is actually, a, in some sense, a, a prelude to religious experience, that it's in wilderness that people have these profound religious experiences. So let's pin that idea that alienation leads to religious experience. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. So not just philosophically, we can talk about alienation, but some of the kind of earliest writings on the topic of alienation actually center on the idea of sin, that sin is something that alienates us from God. 
again, lepers aren't sinners, but they are sort of a, a symbol of the sinner, of somebody who, who moves, who by their sin is dwelling apart from the community of believers. That sin actually alienates the sinner from themselves, from the community, and, and from God. Now, there's a legitimate discussion about whether or not there's something called a private sin or a public sin. You know, is there such thing as a private sin? Technically speaking, there is such things as private sins. Obviously, sins that you do with no one around is is manifestly different than sins you do in public or ones that you demonstrate publicly. However, I think what the deeper interpretation is is that God is always kind of present in your soul. And so if you sin privately, you still sin with God present. And your sin, even if you disregard that point, your sin distorts your sense of self and dis- distorts your will, distorts your thinking. And then that, then you take that and you go out into the community and you have sinful ways of acting, sinful ways of thinking and willing. That will impact the community. So at least the effects of your sin seem to always be public in that it impacts more people than just yourself. So sin is an alienation on kind of all three levels, on the level of the self, the level of the community, and even on the level of God. It it alienates yourself, it alienates at all levels. So now I want to switch over to the gospel. So the, the gospel scene that takes place today, the healing of the leper, is something that takes place in all three synoptics. That is, it takes place in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I don't normally do this. I like to try to stay close to the the reading that we have today, but I'm going to try to kind of combine all three of those and create an image. Because there there is a note here that there seems to be a contradiction between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, since they all have this story about Jesus healing a leper, but with slightly different details. How do we make sense of this? So in Matthew's gospel, it says that Christ, after he had finished teaching on the mountain, had come down from the mountain and encountered a leper. But Luke says that he was in a certain city and the leper came up to him. The fathers answer this by saying that there was an interval between when Christ had descended the mountain, encountered the leper, and before he had entered the city reason why Luke says that it happened in a city is because the city was nearby. So Christ is kind of in between the mountain and the city where Luke says it happened. In Mark, there is no location. It just, it's unspecified. So we can take Mark as perhaps uh, the middle ground here that it's taking place in between the mountain and the city. Why, Why do I mention this? Because there's some spiritual interpretation here. Of course, there's a symbolic interpretation. That's why I mention it. So Christ descending the mountain and then encountering a leper, we can interpret as Christ descending from heaven in his incarnation. That as soon as he comes down from heaven, he, he comes down from heaven to heal the leprosy of sin. Now we can start to take leprosy as allegorical or as a symbol or sign of sin. Again, it's not literally sin just a symbol. So we can, we can take it here that this, the leper represents all of sinful humanity. So we can take that Christ coming down from the mountain, encountering the leper on the way in this interval period, is the whole of kind of Christ's ministry to descend from heaven 
to heal sinful humanity. And Christ's attitude towards the leper is, is, you know, kind of Christ and the stranger. He behaves towards strangers with nothing but kind of a loving interest and a tender care. That he, he did not just kind of heal this leper, but in fact, he was, he was moved with, with compassion. And what we're seeing here is that the holy now is not an abstract concept or kind of a, a vague impersonal force in the cosmos. But in fact, the holy is Christ incarnate. It is Christ who has come down from heaven. And that our presence does not defile Christ. In fact, he is interested in us and in you. And then Christ cannot be defiled by, by the leper or by sin. But in fact, he has come to undo the effects of sin. He, is, he has the power over sin. So we have to keep in mind our discussion about the nature of the holy and the nature of the unclean. It says here that Christ was moved with pity and he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, be clean. Now the law said that the lepers were supposed to be banished from the camp, but Christ in this moment does not refrain from touching him. Christ heals him through, through his kind of, you know, mysterious and divine power. But he also does this to give us kind of a, an example of, of our own kind of humility and compassion towards people. Just as Christ doesn't spurn the outsider, neither should we. That in this episode of the leper, Christ shows that he is beyond the law, but he's not under the law. That although the law said and the law forbade anyone to touch a leper, Christ shows that he is the Lord of the law. He is not the slave to the law. Even though Christ walks the path of the law, you know, after he heals a leper, he says to go show yourself to the priest, but he was also to go beyond the law and heal those who cannot be healed by the law. So leprosy was ordinarily spread by contact. You know, the the Israelites knew this, but it's actually by the Lord's touch that he is made, that the leper is made clean. So Christ has sort of this, this inverse relationship here that, it's by touching that usually one is, is, it's usually by touching that one is made unclean, but now Christ reverses that and it's by touching that he becomes clean. That although Christ could have healed the leper with a word, he touched him so that it was Christ's humanity that was an instrument of his divinity, you know, kind of just as a craftsman or somebody works with tools. So Christ's divine power sometimes operates through his humanity to demonstrate that his, his divine and human nature are one thing, that are, they're united. So it's, it's through this human touch that Christ kind of bridges the gap between the law and, and his humanity, that he, he doesn't disobey the law, but he actually goes beyond the law because the law forbade someone to touch a leper because they would become un, un, unclean. They didn't do so. They didn't, the law didn't forbid that because someone could become clean by touching them. So after the healing, Christ says that go show, you know, go show yourself to the priests and offer the cleansing that Moses prescribed. And the reason why uh, Christ is still keeping with the law is because the priests were instructed to examine cases of leprosy. Like Christ sent him, sent the leper although he had been healed because without being certified clean, he could not be readmitted to the community and readmitted to cultic practice. So 
he needed, Christ wanted him to be reinstated, but he couldn't do so unless he had the authority of the priest. So Christ recommends, or Christ commands him to go and to show himself so that he can be, he can reunite himself with, again, those two, two layers, the, the vertical and the horizontal. Like Christ, even though he has the power to heal him, does not at this moment necessarily have the, the power to readmit him, that Christ recognizes the authority of the priests. So if we keep in mind what we said about the nature of the holy, the nature of the unclean, what happens here is that there's a breaking down of the barrier that the leper had heard in some way that Christ was able to heal him. And he kind of dares to approach the holy, that he's supposed to dwell on the outside, but he actually journeys to the center of the, of everything. He, he journeys again to the, the center of the world, that Christ is now the new tabernacle, and he dares to come into the presence of the holy. But if we think about the beginning of St. John's Gospel, where it says that the Word was made flesh and, and dwelt among us, that is the same language as the tabernacle, that Christ has tabernacled among us. So now the, the nature of the holy is something that we can approach, that it's not, you know, as it was in the Old Testament, of a strict division between holy and unclean. But now there's this, this movement of, of the outsider and the stranger to the incorporation of the community and to actually dare to approach that which he is forbidden to approach. When I was preparing for this episode, um, I had driven by a Methodist church and outside the church, they had a sign that said, um, I think all are welcome, something like that, or some, something to the notion that you know, we don't turn anyone away. And I thought, that's true. In Christianity, all are welcome. All are welcome to act as the leper in this gospel. All are welcome to humble ourselves and to ask the Lord for healing. Of course, we also have the, the song, Come As You Are. Yes, come as you are. Come as the stranger and the, and the sinner. And I think what's being said is, come as you are, is uh, don't pretend to be something else. You are the stranger. You are the outsider. But do not remain as that. That when you come from the outside as a stranger into the holy, you're coming to be healed and to be transformed. And, and that's not to say that healing is the same as acceptance. That we're to have the attitude of this leper meaning we approach Christ, we kneel and we beg and we say, if you wish it, you can make me clean. So in, even in this petition of humility is, is a surrender. He says, if you wish it. So that's implying it's, it's putting the healing in Christ's hands, saying, if you don't wish it, you don't have to heal me. But I know you have the power to do so, and I'm asking you to do so. So the stranger and the outsider symbolized by the leper, can enter the holy presence and can enter out of alienation into communion. However, only if they have this attitude, only if they say, if you wish it, make me clean, heal me, that they kneel in repentance and humility. But again, once you have this encounter with Christ, you're not supposed to leave as you are. You're supposed to leave transformed and changed. Looking a little bit backwards to the psalm, we see is, blessed is he who fault, whose fault is taken away 
and whose sin is covered. Blessed the man whom the Lord imputes no guilt, and in whose spirit there is no guile. The, and the refrain is, I turn to the Lord in time of trouble, and you fill me with the joy of salvation. So the salvation here is, is what we talked about from the first reading, this idea of holy, wholeness and, and perfection, is that the Lord can restore you to that. But you, you have to make this, this journey towards the, the holy. You have to make this journey towards the center and not just remain on the outside as you are a, a stranger to the Lord. Part of the incarnation, part of God's coming in in His person, is to to show that the holy again is not an abstract, impersonal force, but in fact is someone that you can have communion with. And it says here, then I acknowledged my sin to you, my guilt I covered not. I said I confess my faults to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. Again, if we take the leper as a symbol of of the sinner, someone whose whose sin has kind of ravaged them. The leper acknowledges this. He says, he, he begs him and he kneels before him. He's, he's not covering up his sin. He's not saying, he's not pretending he's not a leper. He's not pretending he's not a stranger. He's saying, this is, this is who I am. I, I'm sick and I need your healing. I know you can if you will it. And I surrender to you. And because of that humility, because of faith and prayer and humility, Christ took away the guilt of his sin. And in response to that is what the psalmist says. Be glad and rejoice, you just. Exalt, you upright of heart. That we're not supposed to just go back. Again, come as you are and stay as you are. But come as you are, the stranger, and leave as the leper did. Rejoicing and telling people the good news of your transformation and of the healing and grace you've received. That Christ will fill you with the joy of salvation, but you can't remain on the fringes. Christ can fill you with the joy of salvation if you ask for it, if, you know, if we humble ourselves for it. The leper went away, and he says, the man went away and began to publicize the whole matter, and, the, and, he, spread the rep- and he spread the report abroad. So the stranger becomes the welcome guest, becomes, it comes into fellowship, that the, the holy is something that we don't have to be alienated from anymore, but has become Im- immediately personal in the person of Christ, that Christ becomes accessible. He, that in the person of Christ, he breaks down the barriers of, of the camp, right? It's not the tabernacle, the clean and the unclean, but he breaks down all those barriers and says that what you need to enter into relationship with the holy is humility, prayer, and faith and repentance. That's how you approach the holy that you don't have to remain the stranger, you don't have to remain the outsider, but you do have to join these things together and to approach Christ in that manner. Scripture often teaches us about spiritual realities, immaterial realities with physical realities, you know, visible signs and symbols. So the leper is a physical sign of a spiritual disease or, you know, the leper is physically separated from the holy to symbolize the spiritually isolated but now we know what it takes to access the holy. We just have to respond to the grace and to make the journey to this, you know, to the holy and to humble ourselves. And then we can kind of experience the joy of salvation and the, the joy of reuniting between the, the vertical and the horizontal elements of life that fulfill our fundamental humanity. That's where I'll stop today. 
Remember, if you have any questions or you want to ask me about anything, please email me at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening.